Hello out there world, welcome to episode 21 of the Modern Educator Podcast. This is your host, Corey Brown, and today I'm joined by my good friend, Douglas Self. Hello, Corey. Hey, Doug. So uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the podcast? Okay, well, my name is Doug, obviously. Um, This is actually my third career being a teacher. I've actually, uh, I started in the Navy as a submarine officer and then uh, did most of my career in healthcare administration. You know, just felt like I wanted to give something back, and so now here I'm teaching. Awesome. Obviously, you can correct me on this, but I think that I met you at a board game shop. At that time, you still had never been an educator, and you asked me so many questions about teaching in Southern Nevada, and, and was I somehow influential in encouraging this career change on you? Uh, no, I, don't. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I'd been, I'd been thinking about it for a while. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I'd actually moved to Las Vegas to be a teacher oh. and started the ARL program at UNLV. So, you know, I was just probably getting some extra information from you. Okay. And that's totally Before cool. I beat you at our board game. Yes. Well, I, <laughs> we, we, we play that game a lot. And so sometimes I win, sometimes you win, but it's always a fun time. Uh. All right, and uh, I, I know something kind of interesting about your career path is you were a teacher here at CCSD, uh-huh. and then you went back into the medical profession, Yeah. but currently you are going now back into the teaching profession again. Yes. So So why can't I make up my mind? Yes. <laughs> why am I wishy-washy? So yes, I, I moved to Las Vegas to be a teacher and started UNLV's ARL program which uh, you start in June. You go for five weeks, so you finish up the end of the first week in July. You take three classes or nine credit hours, and voila, you can apply. As long as you already have another degree, an undergraduate degree in something, voila, you can apply for your provisional license in the state of Nevada in most states. Um, That gives you three years to either finish up your master's or finish up your teaching certificate as probably a lot of people may or may not know i think corey you may know three classes in education before you start teaching doesn't necessarily fully prepare you to be a teacher it 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 prepares you enough to be thrown to the sharks but um no so what yeah what happened to me basically long story short is this is I taught at a middle school, uh, J.D. Smith here in Las Vegas. It's on the east side, so a little bit lower socioeconomic uh, folks or students and families over there. I ended up becoming involved in a low-income clinic through my church that was going bankrupt. And so they asked me to help out. I was part-time CEO there, full-time teacher they were only about three miles away so they were basically serving the same families i ended up making a tough decision at that point for me and went back and helped them get back on their feet then taught one year so i taught seventh grade math there and then after about two years helping them recover i went back and taught algebra 2 at el dorado high school Throughout the process, I didn't continue my classes as much as I should have, and my provisional license expired after three years. 
despite having taught a full year, I only taught half a year at J.D. Smith, having a good review, you had to have two reviews or else no dice. And you only had one review. I only had one review. What? So, and that was no fault of your own. So I, well, it was the fault that I didn't continue at the same pace mm. through the ARL program. So yeah, I couldn't teach. I didn't have a license. I did have the option, of course, doing long-term subbing. But as a long-term sub, you don't make very much money. You make even less than a teacher, and you got no benefits. So I went back in healthcare, finished up my uh, master's in education at UNLV this last December, and have accepted another job to teach middle school math, and am super excited. Okay, and so you've now had the experience of middle school math and high school math, and because now you've chosen middle school math again, I assume you have a preference for middle school. Yes, yes. I I taught middle school math, and I love all math. So, uh, especially, and I, I really do like the highest levels of math, calculus, statistics, college statistics, and, and that type of thing. One of the things I really found out by teaching high school in Las Vegas is that, unfortunately, I think maybe especially in lower socioeconomic neighborhoods, a lot of the students are significantly behind. Oh, yes. But I will say this, that I have tutored, I mean, I've tutored a lot of students in the Valley. I've seen students, regardless of socioeconomic background, not know, you know, sort of their basic math facts, their multiplication tables. Maybe they grew up singing a song to learn multiplication. Uh, maybe they are skip counting, which is where you know, hey, four times three is four plus four plus four. And so they just don't know these things. And at my school, the students were significantly behind. Five minus seven is what? Three times negative two is what? Four. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you expect a student that is really behind to try and pass algebra two. So... I did realize by teaching there that I, I really do enjoy, I know a lot of people are scared off about this because, you know, you say, I teach middle school and they're like, God bless you. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. I have that feeling, honestly. <laughs> but I don't know. I just felt like I related well huh. with that age of student. And then sometimes high school students have closed themselves off to their teachers at that point. Well, and I'll, I'll just add this rant. I assume you'll agree with this, but it's that I think math is the most challenging subject to teach in regard to the fact that everything builds on the previous years. Yeah. And in high school, as you're saying, you're now, you're dealing with kids that haven't learned new math for the last four math classes, and now you have to teach them integrals and derivatives. Like, there's no hope. Yeah, I, I feel like, so So my students also, in addition, it doesn't surprise you, couldn't do positives and negatives multiplied together, couldn't do 5 minus 8 and get negative 3, but they couldn't do simple fractions. So, you know, you learn 1 half plus 1 third in the 5th grade. So almost it feels like you're teaching 11th graders 5th grade math through 11th grade math. That's all well and good. But I just felt like I wanted to try and make more of a difference in yeah. a student's life. and Because maybe middle school, that's, that's where they have their first unique math classes. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe in sixth grade math, 
could you take a kid who basically doesn't know any math at all and bring them to sixth grade standards? I think so. Um, okay. I mean, in middle school. I mean, uh, you know, when I was going to UNLV, one of the professors said it takes a good two years to remediate a student up to grade level. So, hmm. you know, could you do it in one year? Probably not, but a couple years, I, I think you could in a couple of years. Well, because in the world of social studies, it doesn't matter if you didn't learn the year before. You know, this is world history, this is American history, this is American government. They're all quite unique classes that don't really build on the previous classes. But math, you don't have that luxury. Yeah, and I think also when you're talking to someone, you know, you know, you talk to friends, um, you talk to your family members, and, and you have those people that say, you know, I'm just not good at math. And more than likely, they probably had a problem in middle school math. And that's where they made their decision, I'm just not good at math. Yeah. And then, yes, they go to high school, they have trouble in algebra, they have trouble in geometry, because their confidence level when they enter high school is already shot in math. Yeah, and in my understanding and learning uh, educational materials, typically girls have more problems in math. Do you find that to be the case? I, I don't know that I've taught long enough to give okay. you a really educated answer, <laughs> answer on a, that. A I'm just thinking back, and I'm just tr trying to think back in my mind, and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like the girls can be more engaged oh. than than the boys. So I don't know. Yeah. Okay. It'd be interesting yeah. to kind of. Keep an eye on that as I go through. But but your comment about I gave up in math in middle school. I I deal with a lot of high school freshmen, and you know sometimes they're like, Mr. Brown, your class is easy, but the math class I have no chance in. And it's like, well, dang, like, yeah. Well, you know, you got to work in math. You don't have to yes. work in social studies in your class. Well, hey, I teach AP, <laughs> man. You got to do some some tough work. Um, all right, let's let's go back to the questions. Oh, uh, what the is, questions. What is your educational philosophy as yourself? Well, one of the things that I really, really, really want to focus on is this. I want to know where my students are in math. And I was just talking to my wife about this today. And over the last couple of days, actually over the last several weeks, I've been doing a lot of uh, looking for uh, like seventh grade end of year test, diagnostic test. Um, and, you know, a lot of these will say no calculator and et cetera, et cetera. And what I want to do is to go ahead and test, maybe not in the first couple of weeks, kind of let their math brains start juicing up again and, and stuff but maybe week last half of week two maybe early week three give them a diagnostic test if i'm teaching eighth graders i give them a diagnostic test of seventh grade um so that i can find out all right corey brown do you know how to multiply okay do you know negative times positives do you know Looking at a number line, you know, if you start at three and you subtract five, where it puts you on the number line. Uh, do you know your basic algebra, you know, that, that you're supposed to know at this point? And if you don't, that's all well and good. I just want to make sure at that point that I can communicate that to the student and more importantly, in some cases, to the parent. Because through my tutoring experience, experiences, a lot of these parents 
don't know that their students don't know certain things that they should know at this point. And, and then also, uh, and one prime example is multiplication tables. Seventh graders, eighth graders, ninth graders, 10th graders not knowing multiplication tables. And especially for the middle school kids, I mean, sometimes with the high school kids, it's kind of a little bit too late, but emphasizing, okay, hey, we are going through the school year right now, so we'll continue sort of our tutoring and math along the way, but mom and dad, this summer is multiplication tables. And this summer is not just you know, Johnny or Susie doing multiplication tables. It is mom, dad, Johnny, and Susie doing multiplication tables. All of you guys, as a team, committed to this, you know, because somehow as a team, we've gotten to this point and we haven't done it. Mm -hmm. So we need to fix it as a team. And that's, that's really, you know, I, w I want to make sure that I, just, I don't just move my kids along through the subjects of that grade year, but to make sure that they are remediated as well. And one of the beautiful things I'm looking forward to, uh, maybe the students might not so much, <laughs> but at, at my school, we're gonna have block classes. Mm. This could sound like a nightmare to some of you guys out there that maybe aren't math people, but the students are going to have 80 minute math classes every single day double block math double block math wow. every day and yeah, at, at rancho and desiracis we do block schedule but they only double block ap calculus yeah but you're double blocking all math all math and english wow. and yeah so a half of that is going to be used for math uh fundamentals and basics and then half of that will be used for on grade level so um you know, I if someone doesn't know their multiplication tables, I I would like to try and give extra credit to all students. So, yes, a lot of times we give challenging math problems to the students and say, all right, here's your extra credit. Go do it. Well, some challenging math problems are going to be way beyond the scope of some students. But what if I, you know, what I'm really thinking is trying to give uh, bonus problems or bonus worksheets in those areas that those students need to work. So, heck, heck, if they don't know the multiplication tables from third and fourth grade, you know, learn those educate. I mean, learn, learn those multiplication tables, and you get extra credit. You know, you put in extra work, you get extra credit. Yeah, I I'm all right with that. And you know, let me go on a little rant right here. I recently have had this epiphany, and I'm curious about your answer to this question. What is the purpose of grades? I think the purpose of grades, and I know this is kind of a sticky wicket a little bit, but I think the purpose of grades is communication. Okay. Um, communication to the student about how, you know, their knowledge level in the subject compared to standards yeah. and compared to their peers and compared to requirements that may be needed in the future for admission to college or nursing school yeah. or whatever. Um, and I know some people have 
talked about abolishing grades and and doing something else, but um, you know, I, I I don't know too much about it. But um, my sister lives in Canada, and so her children are in the Canadian educational system, and they're much more loosey goosey. And mm. uh, as a result, um, I know one of my nephews kind of feels confused about how he's doing, and so does his mother. My sister feels, con- you know, how how actually is he doing? in relation to where he should be, you know? How's he doing in relation to American students and stuff? So, yeah, I think grades are all about communications to everybody involved. And F communicates that you don't have the academic ability to perform in this subject, and an A informs us that you have mastered the subject. Yeah. And, like, for example, with me, like, I teach mostly AP classes, so my whole thing is, like, if I am confident that you will pass the AP test, yeah. I feel that you have mastered my subject. Yeah. So I'm actually starting to remold the way that I present some stuff to students. And it's like, if you gave me the kind of work that would pass the AP test, you should get an A, right? Yeah. Because yeah. that's mastery. Um, but no, and I'm also just rethinking like my strategies because I used to have late penalties and I used to say students couldn't redo their work. But if a student wants to put in the extra effort to show me that they want to have mastery in the subject, I should reward that student. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that um, uh, our math department chair did at El Dorado, and I really liked it, um, I'll just have to see how I fit in with administration and my thoughts. I, I do know administration at my new middle school thinks that students should be given the opportunity to learn, but... Why, why should there be this magical deadline by, say, I don't know, maybe September 1st <clears throat> that a student has to know, um, you know, uh, say, adding decimals or multiplying decimals? Um, what if they can multiply decimals very successfully by the end of the semester? Have they mastered that? That's kind of what you're talking about, Corey. Yeah. And so, yeah, we we kind of broke each of those math topics down into standards, individual standards, not sort of the broad, you know, uh, you know, Nevada statutes or whatever, like parabolas and stuff. And we broke it down into very specific. Uh, And then a student knew exactly, hey, yes, I have passed uh, graphing parabolas or no, I haven't. And that's that is this. So we had tons of standards. So that's the standard I need to work on. And it seemed to work great. Hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, What are some of your greatest successes in the classroom? You know, I I think one of my biggest successes, and I don't know if this is maybe a question later on, but it was also kind of learning as well, is, you know, I'm, I'm old school. Um, and, and I'm also a new teacher. I was in the military, so I'm kind of a traditional kind of guy. So, you know, you think of traditional rows and traditional classrooms. And I think sometimes as a new teacher, you're kind of daunted with, okay, what if we have a group? What if we have pairs? What if we have, you know, groups of three or God forbid groups of four, you know, and, and the students start talking and, and um, 
one of my uh, actually I taught algebra two, but I did I did teach one section of geometry at El Dorado, so sophomores. And I didn't realize, you know, there's 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 pretty big differences between sophomores and juniors. Yeah. Um, and so I was talking with the um, uh, the teacher strategy, the teaching strategist lady, right? Uh, I said, you know, I'm just, I feel like I'm struggling a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I'm struggling in my geometry class. And she's like, what are you struggling with? I said, well, kind of, you know, they're loud and, you know, very talkative. And I just don't feel like I have as much control over them. So she's like, yeah. And I said, would you mind coming and just observing my class? And she did. And she said, you know, Doug, if you actually listen to their noise, you're doing a good job because most of their conversations are math conversations, which is what we as educators want to do is encourage conversation in the topic, not just, hey, work this set of problems. And, and also what you're seeing is just the difference in uh, someone that's in the 10th grade versus someone's in 11th grade. So I, I started sort of embracing it more and doing pairs. And, you know, some of these, like maybe maybe a couple girls that are just so talkative all the time and, and you know, blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, stop talking, you know, stop talking. And, and I remember these two girls specifically, and they're like, well, mister, can we be in a, a group together? I'm like, oh, come uh, on. No, this this is not going to No, we promise. We, we will behave. We will talk math. We will do math. And you know what, Corey? They did. Oh. And they 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 raised a ruckus, but they raised a ruckus in racing each other to the answer. They raised a ruckus in if one of them got it right and one of them got it wrong. Like, hey, I beat you, or I got it right and you got it wrong, kind of thing. And uh, and yeah, they it just just turned into a huge competition between yeah. these two girls that were just I felt like causing me a lot of problems and disrupting my class. Um, so yeah, I think. I think the lesson and maybe one of my greatest successes is don't be afraid of the groups. Yeah. Don't be afraid of the groups. Well, especially when you're going to teach 80-minute math classes. Like, it can't just be Mr. Self standing up in front of a whiteboard for 80 minutes. No way. Let me torture you with yes. math. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to have to be like, all right, let's get in a little little pod zone here. And, and yeah, your, your story about trusting those two girls makes me think of this story that I had uh, two years ago. I was teaching a public speaking class. And there was this, uh, the, the, the assignment was students had to uh, give a mock job interview. And I set up myself to be the mock interview panel. And I had this one boy in my class who was so ADHD, kind of hyper, wild, like he was like interrupting other students' speeches. But then I had this thought, I was like, you know what? Hey, boy, come on up here and sit next to me, and you will also be on my interview panel with me. And he owned it. And he was listening to those job interviews. And then he was asking like really good questions after the <laughs> interview was done. And uh, I was like, wow, like sometimes that's what you got to do. You got to take those kids that have that high energy, but just you as the teacher harness it into the classroom environment. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. Awesome stuff. All right. Uh, what are some of your greatest learning moments or failures in the classroom? Well, I think some of my greatest 
learning moments um, and failures really have come through tutoring. I've tutored a lot of math. So, um, and obviously in tutoring, you are there one on with one and with a student. Um, and so a lot of times when you're teaching math, there are things that of course are just so obvious to you as a teacher. Uh, and you explain it and you think to yourself, well, I know it. I explained it. Of course, the students should get it, you know, and especially working one on one. Um, and then, of course, obviously, highly encouraging the students to ask me questions, plus having the ability to just look straight in the students eyes and see uh, you don't know this, even though you're saying yes, um, has has really taught me that when you're teaching a subject, have a plan A on how to teach fractions, have a plan B on how to teach fractions, and, a, C, D, and maybe a C. Yeah, I mean, because I remember uh, at El Dorado, I, I, I forget what topic I was teaching, but I taught it, and Corey, I did a heck of a job teaching it. Okay, good and, job teaching, Mr. Self. And I was sort of internally patting myself on the back, and I turned around to look at the students, and man, I saw a lot of blank faces. Oh, man. So I turned back to the board and just like stroking my beard going, hmm, what am I going to do now? And yeah, having to make up on the fly, how am I going to re reteach this? Because yes, it didn't get across even to my smart students in the class. So, you know, that's that's one of the biggest things I learned is if you're especially teaching math and I don't know how pertinent it is to other subjects but be prepared with an alternate way to teach them um, and then the other thing that um, I'm going to try and get better at uh, and unfortunately we don't see this at least in my master's program I didn't see this um, but training how to teach math to students that uh, maybe are ADD or ADHD or have some some dyslexia because especially if you're working with those students one-on-one -on -one, um, in a tutoring session you realize that hey my normal way of explaining things isn't working and even even if I have the time one-on-one -on -one with this student it just feels very challenging to me. Um, and then you throw yourself in the, the context of classroom and you've got 30, maybe 35 math students. And you know, you got this person over there, you know, they're all working in groups. They're all throwing up their hands, Mr. 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 Sometimes you can become frustrated with the low learning student with an IEP or something. And you're just like, ah, I don't know how to teach you, you know? So I'm going to go gravitate to a middle learner or a high learner. And you can leave those low, low learners behind. So um, I, I specifically uh, am trying to learn teaching methods to teach to some of those more common dyslexic or ADDs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. 
No, I, I, I can relate to that. The fact that, you know, you eventually have this moment where after you've taught the main lesson, you say, all right, kids, go to work. And you as the teacher kind of just bounce around between every kid, making sure they're doing it on the right track. Um, and yeah, there have been plenty of times where I have encountered a student who, it's it's been rare. Usually the kid's just off task. Yeah. But there are times when the kid is trying the work but doing it wrong. Yeah. And that's when you as the teacher have to intervene. And when I'm like, okay, this is the intervention. I'm showing you now how to do it correctly. Now demonstrate for me. And the kid still does it yeah. wrong again. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh. And you have to keep... And I, I think that is a big skill of teaching. It's, it's once again, it's that plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. Like, will I draw the, the, the concept? Will I do it with the most basic numbers possible? Whatever, whatever you can do to show kid the process of thinking. And I think also the fortitude of like, you know, you just, I don't know, you, you feel like, okay, I tried it once and I've, I failed. Yeah. You tried a second time and failed. And then just having sort of the fortitude like, all right, I'm going to hit it again. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully yes. I don't fail again. That, that happens with me mostly with, with writing skills. Because, um, you know, usually it's like, all right, who lost the Battle of Waterloo? You know, like it's kind of hard to get that one wrong. Um, but if it's, this isn't a good thesis. Why, Mr. Brown? Because it doesn't do X, Y, Z. All right, try it again, kid. And it's still a bad thesis. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Uh, it's China that lost the Battle of Waterloo, right? No. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but you, you equate that to be a learning moment where you've intervened on a kid who's not doing the math right. And the kid just, you, you don't know how to psychologically mold them. Yeah. to being correct yeah i would imagine that can get really frustrating with math for sure um i know that i've had some breakthroughs like uh and i, I might have brought this up on a previous episode of the podcast but i'll bring it up again um i had this uh student i was doing private tutoring for he was maybe a third fourth grade boy <clears throat> who read books at a snail's speed like it would take this kid half an hour to read one page of a novel because every word was just slow mode. And then I, I knew the kid knew how to say every word and all this. But for whatever reason, his brain said, like, you have to read slowly. Hmm. So what I did was I found some baby books. Hmm. And I said, this is Clifford the Big Red Dog book. We're going to read this in 30 seconds. And I showed him how to just sort of like speed read. Just like you, you read the words in the sentence, you, you bounce. You read the words in the sentence, you bounce. And... And I drilled that with this boy again and again until he mastered the child's book. And then I said, okay, let's apply this to the full novel. And he was eventually getting it. And his parents eventually were like, you did it, Coy Brown. You saved our son from hours and hours and hours of reading. So, yeah, and the kid, it's not that I taught the kid how to read. I taught the kid how to read effectively. Well, it's almost going back to the basics. It's it's like learning those multiplication tables. Yes. You know? And once you build some confidence at sort of a base level, boom. Yeah. They, can, they can be off and running. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you have any unique classroom strategies? Do I have any unique classroom strategies? Um, you know, I, I like to emphasize to the students... Um, that math is useful um and i think sometimes when you're just learning 
math and things about math, it can kind of get to be sort of boring. Um, you know, through throughout a couple of different careers, I've had in engineering and nuclear power and finance and operations. Uh, I've used math tons, uh, and um, you know, the the common question students have is like, Mister, am I ever going to use X Y Z? And you're like, Let me tell you, when I was on the submarine, and yeah, I mean, sometimes <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I like to try, try and give as many real life practical examples as possible to say, look, yes, uh, hey, this, this simple equation to you may just be some simple busy work, but there is a, a simple ampl application or maybe even a complex application because any engineering project, any space uh, rocket launch or shuttle or, you know, uh, probe, I mean, things have to be very precise. Calculations have to be very precise or it's not going to work. You know, Hey, I was only two degrees off, Will. Mm. We somehow didn't hit Pluto, which is a gazillion light years mm. away. Uh, not light years. Didn't, didn't one of the Mars rovers blow up because they didn't use the right units? They I, did like in meters and I don't know. I haven't feet or seen that, but yeah. yeah. I remember something like that. So that's crazy. Um, all right, what advice would you give someone uh, considering the teaching profession? Well, I think um, I think the biggest piece of advice is patience. Mm. Uh, you know, I think I mean, I think it's a pretty much a given that teachers want to um, do good. They want to teach children. They want to change the world. But the fact of the matter is you end up in a school and you have students. You have administrators. And, you know, a lot of times administrators or and students don't see things the same as you, which can be challenging, especially, you know, because there's tons and tons of interactions administrators come and go um, and uh, the district decides they want to do this math curriculum this year and then guess what we're changing next year so I think I think it's trying to practice patience um, and that that's the first lesson and the the second lesson I think is Making sure, and this may sound touchy-feely, especially coming from a military guy and stuff, but taking care of yourself. Mm. Um, I think you can, especially as a new teacher, you know, you're so excited. You want to get involved. You want to do this. Um, but you can overextend yourself pretty quickly. You know, hey, I'm going to. You know, and this is this coach is coach four clubs. This and... this is what I did. I mean, I ended up um, even though I hadn't coached basketball ever in my life, uh, our freshman bas boys basketball team didn't have a coach, and so they weren't going to have a season. And I coached, and I had a blast, Corey. I had a blast. Nice, but, but man, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work coming home yeah. at ten o'clock at night from games, being on the bus. Uh, and just starting to teach algebra two at that school, I felt stretched. 
I felt like I was stretching myself. And so, yeah. you know, there was times, I mean, you got practice every single day. And, you know, sometimes you just feel like you get done teaching for the day and you need to go rest. You need to take a nap. You need to maybe go get a massage, go do that yoga class, maybe go hike. Whatever your thing is, make sure you, you leave time in your schedule to recharge your batteries. I, I wish you gave me that advice when I started the profession because my first couple of years CCSD, I was the super teacher <laughs> and uh, my physical health suffered because yeah. of it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I, I tell you, I, I would sit there sometimes um, because the freshman boys basketball team didn't practice right after school. It was varsity and junior varsity. I would lock my door and take a nap in my classroom before practice started. Yeah. Because I, because I knew I wasn't getting home until 7.30 that night or 8. I also took naps during my prep period. Yeah. And there were times when, like, students would like, <laughs> peek into the door during my prep period and be like, Mr. Brown, are you sleeping? And I'm like, yes, leave me alone. <laughs> I have 20 minutes. And, and then the other, I think, you know, especially taking care of yourself. Uh, I think as Americans, we undervalue this one thing so much. Whatever your body's required amount of sleep is, make sure you get that as a teacher. Yeah. You really do because, you know, uh, you, you've heard about Disneyland, sometimes working at Disneyland and how you're on a stage. Obviously, as a teacher, you're on the stage. You a lot many times can't let your guard down from yes. the teacher. So you need, a, you, you need a lot of energy in your, your reservoir kind of thing. And there's nothing like, you know, nothing, nothing saps your energy reservoir more than not getting sleep. Yeah. And I, I mean, there were times when I was driving home from Rancho High School and I would be teetering on sleep, you know, stuck yeah. in that South 15 traffic, just like and, and I eventually had just a case of monster energy drinks in my car just so in the future, if ever I was walking my car, I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. You know, I just just chug one of those all the way home. And of course, that's not doing you any favors. Oh, no, it I certainly mean, wasn't. It was honestly just making the problem worse in the long run. Yeah. So I, you know, your your own personal health, you need to, uh, you know, there's kind of a saying that, you know, it's hard to serve others if you aren't serving yourself first. Yes. You're taking care of yourself. Yeah. All right. Great advice. Uh, what's the uh, best lesson you've ever done? The best lesson I have ever done, um, you know, it was it was teaching geometry, uh, and you know I'm not going to bore all the listeners here with all the geometrical terms and all that, but um, back in uh, 200 BC, 200 BC. Uh, and unfortunately, I can't remember this mathematician's name. He's Pythagoras. A, no, it's not Pythagoras. <laughs> Pythagoras was around about 2000 BC. Oh my goodness! But um, uh, this this Greek mathematician. First of all, Pythagoras and those Greek mathematicians at that time also had uh, come up with a theory that the Earth was round. Okay, all the way 2000 BC. Well, there was this Greek mathematician in about 200 BC who used geometry and calculated 
the circumference and the diameter of the Earth with, they think, about 7% accuracy. He had no, uh, uh, obviously, computers back then. Uh, he had no... He just did it with sticks, right? Yeah, he had no wow. major instruments. All he had were a couple, like, smaller flagpoles. And uh, he noticed at a certain day of the year that the flagpole in his town did not cast a shadow. And then uh, a friend of his in a unit of measurement, which I think is maybe about 300, in a town about 300 miles away, saw that his flagpole did cast a shadow. So you're able to use the concept of the sun's rays coming down, creating parallel lines and then an arc of the earth and you're able to use angles and intersecting lines and then yes you can calculate the diameter or more specifically at that point the radius of the earth and then come up with a circumference and i think that uh a lot of times uh obviously that's a real life example which is a way 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 cool in my opinion example of using math but it's it's a sort of down-to-earth use of math uh, uh, that math can be functional. In fact, in my uh, UNLV program one day, in one of my classes, we had to give just a short 15-minute lesson uh, that, you know, kind of a cool lesson. And even these, uh, now they're not just math teachers, they're, you know, humanities teachers and all this other kind of stuff, but all these other teachers are kind of amazed too, and their masters level they're like, "Wow, that's pretty cool," <laughs> you know. So yeah, I yeah. think that was the need. I think that's the neatest one. That's great. Yeah, I I think it would be really awesome if you just always sort of before you taught a new math concept, you presented the class with a problem, and you said like, "Hey kids, you're working as like a NASCAR driver. You have to determine the extent of I don't know the torque of." the yeah. car or something like that and then you watch the kids struggle and fail and then you teach them the solution yeah that'd be that's really cool yeah. actually yeah it's a good idea always always phrase it like a an open source word problem the podcast king <laughs> yes if if your podcast microphone is this close to your <laughs> mouth what will happen to the sound coming out from your vocal cords um all right uh, are there any educational concepts that you champion or disagree with and what i mean by this is like uh, and some people really promote direct instructions. Some people promote only group work. Some people say tests are evil. Some people say project learning. What are your thoughts on some of those bigger ideas? Well, I think that there, I, I, <clears throat> um, I think probably for all subjects, but definitely for math, which is um, my area, I think a blended approach for instruction should be used. Um, because, and really not just math, but all, because there are going to be different situations in our life where we receive direct instruction. Maybe, uh, you're going to go to a class to become a plumber. Maybe you're just receiving direct instruction. Maybe you group up in pairs and, uh, you're learning how to repair a pipe or something. Um, and so, you know, our job as educators is to prepare students for for real life and so sometimes we're going to be learning on our own we're going to be doing things on our own we're, our bosses are going to task us 
with something specific for you, Corey, or me. Sometimes, you know, obviously in, in a, lot of, a lot of society today, groups are a big thing. Uh, and, you know, there are different mechanics that you have to be able to do to work in a group and to function in a group. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, you, you want to make sure that you give them the opportunity. Specifically in math, though, I think students at the end of the day, couple days, couple days a week, they need to be in their house, their kitchen table, you know, in their bedroom or whatever, and they got to be working math problems by themselves. Mm. Um, you know, I, I did hear a lot, um, a lot of uh, teachers and some instructors in my my master's program talking about how crazy life uh, kids' lives are today, and they don't have time for homework, and you know, so we should just make sure that they get everything done in the classroom, and then call it a day. I remember growing up, math homework was always my consistent homework. Right. It was there was always like twenty to fifty problems like every day. Yeah. And you know, especially in tutoring, I mean, I'm like, you know, hey, I'm I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you this topic. I'm going to help you get through these problems. But in tutoring, many times I will assign homework, uh, not just help a student th through the homework because you. I mean, we all know, hey. You don't know if you know how to do math unless you do it by yourself. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a huge, huge proponent of homework. I, mm. I'm not talking like I'm going to kill you five days a week and give you an hour. A hundred problems. Uh, yeah, a hundred problems. It's going to take you an hour or two you know, each night. But, um, yeah. One of the other things I've thought about, too, is giving... And I really need to think about this more, but this is in sort of the, the thinking infancy stages of my brain. Giving students options on homework. Um, hmm. So depending on the level of students, say like maybe a low learner, medium level, and a high learner. So you could choose which set of problems you did. Now, the low level learner might choose the easiest path, but there's gonna be a lot more practice problems so that they can kind of catch themselves up. Maybe the medium path learners have a medium amount of homework and or, or medium number of problems, trying to schedule that they all take the same amount of time. And maybe the high learners have fewer problems, but much more difficult. Yeah, crazy word problems. To get through, uh, so that each level of learner is challenged. Hmm. Okay. All right, and now uh, let's just talk about the pandemic. Mm. So you have not taught during the pandemic. Yes. Uh, you've been still in the, the the world of... Trying to um, get back to teaching. Yeah, now you're getting back in it. You're, you're, <laughs> I've got you're my, the replacement. I've got my degree, and I'm I'm raring to go. You're, you're, you're the, the fresh recruit uh, into the, the waning battle. Throw the meat in there. So, uh, I mean, uh, we've had some conversation. I'm sure you're quite aware of yeah. online learning and all that. What, what is your general thoughts and attitudes towards it? Well, you know, I know a lot of parents out there, a lot of teachers out there, for the most part, realize that online learning hasn't worked yes. very well. I'm not going to say that online learning doesn't work. 
It works for some kids. It works, but for it's s- a minority. I agree. It works for some kids, um, and also, you know, our kids, and not just our kids here in Las Vegas or CCSD, but our kids throughout the country and our teachers. Uh, a year ago, last spring, were just thrown into the deep end and like, all right, you know. Uh, the announcement of shutdowns was yeah. like, okay, you're you're teaching on Friday, and I don't know, Corey, how much lead notice did you have? I I remember it was uh it was like March fifteenth. It was a Friday. Uh, the, the superintendent of Clark County said school will be open on Monday. So you know, I left my cell phone charger. Friday. It well no um, well okay this was Friday yeah so we're leaving for the weekend Monday you're gonna be back but yeah Monday you're gonna be back like <laughs> he had he gave us every chance like they canceled sports they canceled clubs. But they said schools will be open on Monday. Yeah. So I, I left perishable food in the fridge. I left my cell phone charger in the classroom. I had all Monday's agenda already pre-written on my whiteboard. It's like these and businesses then, that had flowers and yeah, plants. Yeah, and, and, and I uh, you know go for the weekend and Saturday things get worse, Sunday things get worse. And Sunday at 8 p.m., the governor says all schools are closed starting tomorrow. Yeah, happened with businesses too. Yeah, it was such a sudden shock. Yeah. That uh, and we weren't allowed back in the building. Like I had to buy a new cell phone charger. It was crazy. Yeah, I I, I remember that week too. I mean, from my clinic perspective, and we thought we were way ahead of the game on <laughs> Wednesday because we were planning on doing telehealth and having people working from home in a couple of weeks you yes know? <laughs> we're, we're creating the plan and then monday bam but yeah so everybody got just blindsided yes. and you know you can't create uh i think um you know you look at these online programs that are out there and exist and that do well well there's been a ton of work going to these things and there's been, you know, kind of a ton of screening for the students that go into them. And unfortunately, that was not the case. And then, yeah, you've got a lot of time as you're teaching and stuff. But everything I've heard about the teachers, you know, they had these crazy setups of having some people virtually. And you're and you got these teachers and students that are used to learning their entire learning or teaching their entire lives in person. Yeah, and then overnight you're trying to come up with plans and designs and stuff, um, and so I've seen lots and lots and lots of problems, um, yes. as a lot of parents are aware of and a lot of teachers are aware of, um, and I've, as a math tutor, you know, you what what I what I tend to do is okay, a student's having problems, you know, parabolas, okay, so. Corey, let's turn in your notebook to where you took notes on parabolas. And so you got some notes. Okay. COVID, there's no notes. There's nothing. I'm, I'm collecting notes from my students. I, I know. But the thing that really sucks is I have a lot of students that just never attempted assignments, never attempted notes, never attempted tests. Well, they're not used to taking notes from a taped lecture. They're not used to taking notes from a lecture on the internet. They're not used to taking notes from just a slide that's sliding on their computer. Plus they have so many distractions of yes. little brother, little sister at home and stuff. And so yeah, the note taking went to just just stopped. And the my role as a math tutor 
really started to change drastically from uh, helping you. So, Corey, yeah, you're struggling. Tell me what with parabolas you're struggling on, you know, to, okay, Doug, I don't even know what a parabola is. <laughs> I don't know what Let's a quadratic equation is. Yeah, so I'm becoming the teacher. I, in fact, I remember one case, uh, you know, where uh, I was tutoring this young lady that's um, going to CSN and uh, applying for the Naval Academy, and she's in Calc 2. And yes, I'm tutoring her and stuff, and then COVID happens. And then I just shifted to our break room and whiteboard, and I started teaching her. And I found that with whatever level learner student you want to talk about, high, medium, and low, the numbers of honor students and advanced students I've seen that are failing and got D's, that are trying, that they're legitimately trying, who have never had D's and F's in yes. their life. It's just been unbelievable. And as a result, their confidence is just, I mean, I feel like as a tutor, the first thing I'm having to do is, and I've, I've done this a lot with students, you know, you kind of got to go in there, let them know it's okay that they're not successful at this point, and sort of start to pick up and bring up their confidence a little bit because it's just their confidence at horrible lows. Well, and we mentioned already earlier in this podcast that your typical math day is you give a pre-lecture about the topic and then mm -hmm. you say, okay, kids, I'm going to bounce around the classroom and make sure you're all getting it yeah. and help you improve that confidence and you can show me you're doing it right and I can encourage you when you are doing it right. Now, I attempted to translate that yep. same attitude into online learning where I said, okay, kids, this is how you write a DBQ style essay. Okay, now start writing it yourselves. And if I had the ability, I would have loved to magically jump my body to all of their yep. computer setups and quickly check and make sure they're doing it right. But a lot of kids didn't understand their own technology. They didn't know how to share their screens. And also, like, I think there's a lot of weird social stuff yeah. in, in a Google Meet and an online environment where kids just don't feel comfortable speaking up. Well, I mean, you know, I'm just kind of looking at both of us right now and we're talking with each other. We're, you know, we see each other and we're both waving our hands and talking with our hands. And that's a big part of public speaking. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of your best pastors are the ones that are flapping their arms up in the air and arm movement, hand movement, keeps the eyes moving. Uh, and with the eyes moving back and forth, keeps up the attention level in, yes. in a person. Uh, as opposed to, you know, I'm the vibe, you know, we have a certain vibe right now going on. Uh, I hope it's good. And, uh, <laughs> but that vibe would be completely different if we're doing it, you know, from my house and your house right now on Zoom. It'd be completely yeah. different, I think, you know. Well, and what also is so sad, Doug, is you could tell me, and I mean, this has happened actually multiple times over the course of our friendship, where you're like, hey, Corey, do you remember this student you had in the past? And I'm like, oh, of course I remember that student I had in the past. You know, I mm. I made a relationship with every student I've ever had, right. where I could tell you a couple little quirks about them, and it's, it's something I really enjoy about teaching. And I remember visiting Making your classroom one day after school, and these kids are just bubbling around oh, here. Just, they're, yeah. they're just all in all the time and this year it's about to end this year of a pandemic and there's still many students 
who have been in my class the whole year, I don't even know what they look like. Yeah. I don't know a single thing about them personally. Um, and that's really, like, it, of course it's sad for the kid. It's also sad for me. That's something I legitimately enjoy about this job. Yeah. And I wish that I could have forced kids to turn their cameras on and forced kids to be more active participants somehow. But many well, students chose to fail this year. Yeah, I mean, I've... I've experienced a lot in my ARL program. Uh, I would say roughly half, maybe 60% of our classes are online, uh, which puts, you know, 50 or 40% in person. And those online classes and the online discussion boards, you know, you're just trying to do the minimum, the minimum, you know, you're, you're not really discussing, you're not really engaged. uh, And yeah, you, you know, you just think about the vibes and the people and the faces and the conversations you have with those people in the classroom. You have none of that with these online stuff. You know, you feel zero connection with these online people. You know, whereas I remember one class, this dude was from New York and had this outlandish New York accent and his personality to match. And he was Mr. New York to all of us. You know, you don't get a Mr. New York on the internet class. So, yeah, it's definitely hard to show off your your personality but some kids still have found ways to do it which is kind of interesting but you know it's a topic for another podcast yeah maybe a topic for another podcast um all right is there anything else you want to share with my, my podcast audience any more encouraging statements about the world of education i mean you're you're probably the most motivated educator friend i have right now you are excited to return to the well classroom. i haven't been teaching this last year i know everybody else is just so over it but yeah. you're you're in it to win it man i i i i wonder a a little bit i mean i guess there we we didn't really talk about this topic uh i i, I wonder about the future and this is in a lot in some circles very con- controversial but hmm. standardized collegiate testing okay sat act yeah i know california has uh, decided to go away from it yeah this coming year and i went to the naval academy and so uh you know roughly the the students that get into the military academies are in the top 10 percent right and when you get there you're just like wow I, you know, I was at the top of my class, and now I'm just average. Yeah. I mean... I had that feeling when I went to university. I'm just I was like, average. I thought I was smart. I'm yeah. just... I'm just average. I may be below average And now. so, I, I just, I do wonder uh, if we're going to do away with the ACT or SAT, or it's not a requirement, how, how are you going to establish... I mean, because we talked about grading, and this is the same sort of topic about grading, um, A's, B's, C's, and D's, and people want to, how do we establish where a student is? Yeah. And because not everybody can make it in some very challenging engineering school. or And, and I'll tell you what, I couldn't make it in a very challenging liberal arts school because, you know, you talked about writing these papers and all that. I dreaded it. I dre- I dreaded to this day. I mean, when I wrote my my twenty page thesis for my master's in education, it was excruciating for me. Excruciating. So you don't want to send me to your ultra elite, um, I don't know, liberal arts college 
humane, where I'm having to write 20 page papers every week or something, um, any more than you want to send someone else to an engineering program. So how do you really tell what a student's strengths and weaknesses are? I mean, what if we're going to do away with them, what are we going to replace it with? How are you going to tell? Yeah. So. And I think uh, California's answer to that is like really good essays um, talking about woke culture stuff. Like I don't even know what they're where they're going with. I tell you what, if you had to rely on an essay for me to get in the Naval Academy, I wouldn't have made it. Mm. I, yeah, I wouldn't have made it. Yeah. Because I was terrible. Or maybe they could do some sort of like. I mean, it would ultimately be a standardized test where you just give them a bunch of word problems and say, use math to solve these. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the other thing, I mean, you can't necessarily rely on grades either because we all know that some schools overall are harder than others. High yeah. schools. Uh, some are easier. Yep. Um, and grades are not fully standardized. Yeah, grades aren't fully and the grades aren't fully standardized. Obviously, inside of school, you know, hey, I had the hard math teacher. Yes. Oh, I had the easy math teacher. You yes. Know? Uh, and it's like, but, but my new mentality is this: if you have shown mastery, I will just give you the A. If I am con and look, I work for the College Board grading human geotests, so like I, I feel I'm capable of assessing your writing and of determining if you would actually pass the real AP test. Yeah. But then I do have this question, because in the AP test, three is passing. So does three translate to a C? And then does you know a five on the AP test, does that translate to an A? Like, honestly, I'm happy if the kids get threes. <laughs> you know, like, if you, all, if you all pass, I will do anything I can to get you to pass. Well, I think the so. AP test is a... Um... It's almost like an honors test, kind of. Yeah. It's an accelerated test. So, you know, if you get a three on the AP test, it's not like you're getting a C. I think, I think an A. This is just Doug's take on it, but an an A uh, on the AP test is. Um, I mean, not an A. A three is like maybe a solid A, A minus, maybe yes. B plus. Uh, you know, your five. I mean, uh, you're just a superstar. You're five. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I can think about myself. So when I went to the Naval Academy, I got a four uh, on the calculus AP exam. Okay, I got a four, which is pretty good, but it's no five. Uh, and the Academy only accepted fives Ooh. to place out. Now, the Academy also had their own placement test, and I took it, and guess what? I placed out of Calc 1. Hey. And by the content that was in Calc 2, I almost placed out of Calc 2 as well. So, yeah, the five is ultra elite, obviously. That's like a 99, yeah, 98. I've, I've, got, I've got plenty of fives over the course of my his, teaching history, so I feel great about that. And hopefully I got some more this year, but <laughs> getting through the pandemic's been a rough one. How many did you get this year, Corey? How, how, well, many, how many will you get this year, that's, Corey? I, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm crossing my fingers. Every, every year I think it's about 10% of my students oh. get five, so yeah. I'm hoping for that. All right, well, thanks for being on my podcast, Doug. I appreciate you coming over. Thank you. Um, and, uh, yeah, if any listener has any questions about the podcast, you can send me an email at vegasmoderneducator at gmail.com. Thanks a lot.